From News Talk 580-1059 KMJ, this is the Matty Report, Valley Views Edition. Now here's your host, Mark Kepler. Funding for the Matty Report is made possible by grants from the California Emerging Technology Fund, leaders in the quest for digital equity. The James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Fresno State Associated Students, Inc. Students serving students. BNSF Railway, moving our economy for 160 years. And the wonderful company. The Maddie Report is also made possible thanks to contributions from Harris Ranch Inn and Restaurant and E&J Gallo Winery. As well as the Bonner Family Foundation, Community Medical Centers, Dewey Square Group, Comcast Financial Agency, Nossiman LLP, Sagasser Watkins and Wheeland, and Valley Children's Hospital. From the Maddie Institute, the Public Policy Institute for the Valley's four public universities, this is the Maddie Report with Executive Director of the Maddie Institute, Mark Kepler. Welcome. Fracking has gained a lot of attention recently. Without getting overly technical, fracking is a process in which chemicals and water are injected into the uh, underground rocks at high pressure to crack them open to uh, unlock oil and, or gas. It's been used as a way to produce oil and gas from previously untapped resources. About 95% of fracking in California occurs in the valley, nearly all of it in four Kern County oil fields. Our first guest is Catherine Rios Boyd, the president of the Western States Petroleum Association, to give us their perspective on this issue. Welcome to the Maddie Report. Thank you, Mark. So let me ask you this. So why do you think fracking is needed as part of the state's energy portfolio? Well, first of all, I think oil and gas is going to continue to be an important part of the state's energy portfolio for some time. And why do I say that? It's basically because there's 40 million Californians who are going to drive 30 million cars and trucks every day. So we agree that there's a transition that is here and we embrace it, frankly, and it's going to take some time. And, you know, when you look at electric vehicles in the state, there's 750,000 of them, but that's a far cry from 30 million internal combustion engines. So there's going to have to be a lot of infrastructure improvements, uh, electricity grid improvements to make all of that work. So that's why we really look at an all of the above energy strategy, because frankly, I don't think any of us want to put all our eggs in one basket. And we don't think that eliminating oil and gas in California, it, it's just going to shift dependence uh, oil to foreign sources like Saudi Arabia, Ecuador, Colombia and Venezuela. We're going to get to that in a second. But I want to ask you, we have uh, Dan Walters on our program. I'm sure you know of him. I uh, have him on our program on a regular basis. You wrote an article recently where he says that the governor's executive order that's directing uh, the State Department to initiate rulemaking to cease new uh, fracking permits by 2024 is, quote unquote, virtual signaling. That's what he referred to it as, which basically means more style than substance. He, he notes that a moratorium, um, the moratorium only covers new permits. It would allow existing permits to continue. Uh, so is this much ado about nothing? Well, it, earlier in the year, Mark, I wrote an article in the Bakersfield, California, and basically we won't get where we need to go through mandates, bans, or what we think is practically political propaganda and really some polarizing um, activism, activism, frankly, from our detractors. And so uh, this governor continues to push his mandates. And the bottom line is this is an unlawful mandate. You cannot choose to ignore science and data and facts 
to govern by bans and mandates and personal fiat. And we know that banning 20% of the energy production in our state, again, just means crude oil will come from foreign suppliers that don't have our environmental standards, that increase greenhouse gases, that increase cost to consumers, and frankly, let alone hurt families and communities in California. Yeah, there have, there have interesting. There have been studies uh, that have shown that, like, in, just to give a, a comparison, in 1982, California produced 61.4 percent of its oil consumption, imported 5.6 percent. As of 2019, California produced 29.7 percent, about 30 percent of its oil consumption, but imported 58.4 percent. So that's what you're speaking to. Is you know we're getting this oil from from other sources. You know, some you're, you're kind of alluding to this. Some in the oil industry are calling the governor's executive order kind of an illegal mandate, and they've vowed to, to fight it. Uh, if it goes forward, do you think the state should compensate drillers and landowners? Well, I think the underlying premise of your question is that we can eliminate tens of thousands of careers in the oil and gas industry with no measurable environmental improvements, and somehow new opportunities will just materialize for the multitude of people who would lose their jobs. And there is just no evidence to support this assertion. In fact, I think of the available data that I've looked at, there's more than 5 million manufacturing jobs that have been lost since 2001. And that's due to the combination of automation and outsourcing to foreign countries. So historically, the disenfranchised groups that include, frankly, women, Black, Latino, all, all of the um, various uh, people working in this industry would be disproportionately impacted by this kind of an action. And well, the we, level we, we, know, we know that there are a lot of jobs, high paying jobs in this industry. I'm going to talk to that actually in the next segment. I have some questions for you on that. But I want to ask you this last one. There have been proposals that are being floated about this a buffer zone of about 2,500 feet, which is about a half mile between oil wells and home schools and healthcare facilities. What about just maintaining a buffer zone? Well, we support the general concepts. We call it setbacks, buffer zones, setbacks. But, but as we support all science-based health and safety regulations, and, and for this industry, the setback decision is right now being looked at in the regulatory process, be, and frankly, looked at as local conditions would dictate with science and data being at the forefront of that conversation. So we're not opposed to it, but we also want to note that we have conducted multitude of health risk assessments of all kinds of air quality emissions, toxic emissions based on gas, you know, frankly, all the guidelines from the state. And that's been over the last four decades. So California's requirements in this area they have been studied and scientifically reviewed since the early 1980s, but we are not opposed to looking at it. Frankly, Mark, it just isn't simple as picking an arbitrary number that is not based on science and public policy. It's I, I, will, I, I will say that so California does not have uh, right now that this buffer zone. There are some other states that do. I think Pennsylvania and Colorado have it, uh, and even Texas, even though it's a relatively short distance, they have it as well. But in a moment, we're going to talk about some of the costs and benefits of, of fracking. That conversation in a moment. This is the Maddie Report. Welcome back. I'm Mark Kepler with the Maddie Institute. We're talking with Catherine Reis Boy, the president of the Western States Petroleum Association, about fracking, a controversial me method of extracting oil and gas. So, you know, you know, the critics have said that uh, there are some costs with fracking in terms of air and water quality, uh, health of communities near these, these wells. You were mentioning in the earlier segment that, you know, you've done exhaustive studies in this. But there was an earlier 
report done by Lawrence uh, Berkeley Labs in 2015 saying at that point, there really hadn't been an, a systematic evaluation of the environmental impacts of this. Uh, so what do you say to those critics? Now, thanks, Mark. And I think, you know, all of the studies that have been done in this area over the past probably even six, seven years now, uh, there's been numerous, whether that's been by the scientific uh, CCTS, as we call them, the scientific community, the Air Resources Board, and in particular, the evidence around the legislation of SB4, which was a regulation passed in 2015 that required enhanced monitoring, notification, looking at groundwater, um, making sure that um, all of the regulations were being followed to the T. And, and frankly, um, many additional uh, different regulations imposed on the industry. All of that has been successfully done and completed. And as, as I think, as you know, there are 61,682 active oil and gas wells in California. And this SB4 requirement for hydraulic fracturing permits has been absolute evidence that there is no harm caused by hydraulic fracturing. Well, let me, let me ask we've been this. doing it for 70 years in the state let me, of California. Let me, ask, let me ask you this, though. There was there was a study um, recently by, I think it was UC Santa Barbara, that seemed to indicate that, you know, that they, they had some issues with, with fracking. What do, you, what do you say about that? Do you think that study was appropriate? Well, here's what I say. And I use this often when, as you know, we have to prove everything we say. And President Lincoln once said, you should not say something unless you've demonstrated it to be right. We have to produce all of the evidence that we are not having any environmental negative impact in anything we do, including hydraulic fracturing. And we have successfully done that. There is no evidence that has been presented that there is an issue. Now, that does not mean you don't keep looking at it, but they've looked at seismic. They've looked at water quality. They've looked at um, notification. They've looked at groundwater monitoring. They've looked at air quality emissions. And that study in and of itself from CARB said there was no difference from a hydraulic fracturing stimulation than, than there was with background. Well, I think so, one of the things you have to do, which you brought up earlier, is you really have to balance. If you're getting the oil from somewhere, which has the least impact on the environment? I guess it's a fair question to ask. But let me ask you this, though. That same study, uh, UC Santa Barbara study, said some positive things, too. It talked about the impact on jobs and tax revenue if a fracking uh, was shut down. I mean, pretty significant numbers. Yeah, I mean, we're talking uh, at least 10% of all of the jobs um, in, in the state in oil and gas production. And actually, you know, so if you're banning 20% oil and gas production, which hydraulic fracturing would be, that's 10,000 people out of work who make an average of $105,000 a year compared to the state average of 45,000 for most in this sector. And so you also inflict about $1.7 billion in damages to the economy and 260 million in lost tax revenue, 4 billion in lost property tax. So 20% more from foreign sources at a higher cost, more impact to the environment in already congested ports of LA, Long Beach, San Francisco, with a loss of jobs and revenue. So I stack that up, Mark, and I don't, I don't uh, get that plan. I don't no, get that I, plan. I, I, want to, I want to compliment you. Boy, you laid down those bullet points. Bing, bing, bing. You hit all the major points. But I want to ask you this. Listen, there is a change in the industry. We all recognize that. Um, what do you see? How do you see the energy industry moving forward? Yeah, and I would first say um, we have been in transition. I say this all the time. We have been in transition since horse and buggy, right? The, transitions in our DNA. And my the companies that I represent, they are involved in all forms of energy. 
they're involved in wind, in solar, in biofuels, in, in new formulations of fuels, um, in, in electric vehicles, in electric charging stations. The research and development going into all of these types of energy is going on with our industry. So it's not if we're going to be a part of the solution, it's how are we going to play in that role. Okay. And there is nothing also, there's nothing that is carbon free. There's no energy source that is carbon free. So why do you talk about carbon neutrality? Because you mitigate the risks from whatever energy source you're talking about. And that's all of them. That's all of them, including okay. electric vehicles. Okay. As you know, where you got to mine cobalt from interesting places in the world. <laughs> well, I, I want to thank our guest, uh, Catherine Rias Boyd with the Western States Petroleum Association for joining us. Up next, what does this mean for the Valley generally and for places like Kern County in particular? That conversation in a moment. This is the Maddie Report. Welcome back. I'm Mark Kepler with the Maddie Institute. Now, California has a goal of being carbon neutral by 2045. That means the eventual phase out of oil and gas production in the state. And that's requires some difficult trade-offs impacting Kern County in particular. Our next guest is John Cox with the Bakersfield, California. has written extensively on the topic. Welcome to the Matty Report. Thank you for being here. Thanks for joining us, John. So listen, I want to ask you, some have suggested that the loss of oil jobs in Kern County uh, is going to be replaced by the, you know, the burgeoning uh, uh, renewable energy uh, sector. Uh, will the quality and quantity of jobs in the, in the renewable energy sector match what currently exists uh, in oil and gas production in Kern County? Well, part of the answer may be in how you define renewable jobs and renewable energy. Uh, conventional renewable energy involves oil, excuse me, involves solar and wind projects, which involve a lot of short-term construction. Uh, but if you also define renewable energy as including uh, renewable fuels, such as biomethane and renewable diesel, uh, those jobs uh, require similar skill sets as oil and gas production, which is maintenance and day-to-day -day type jobs for the long term, not just construction. Sacramento has embraced uh, this definition of renewable fuels as involving uh, fuels for, for transportation, such as uh, biomethane and renewable diesel, uh, but a lot of the hardline environmental groups are uh, less inclined to support those sort of jobs because they do involve emissions. Uh, these yeah, depends how broad the definition is. You know, let me ask you this. There was recently, uh, you reported about a study done by a team of 17 researchers at UC Santa Barbara in economics and energy and, and uh, climate science, examining the costs and benefits of uh, phasing out oil production in the state generally and Kern County in particular. What were its findings on things like jobs and taxes and things like that? Well, the researchers concluded that 1,700 jobs per year would be lost in Kern County. Uh, these tend to be uh, good paying jobs with low educational attainment, hard to replace jobs like that. You can get out of high school here and go straight into a job that pays close to $100,000 a year. So that was the, the primary finding there. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just wondering, but out of, out of a universe of what, about 10,000 jobs in the oil industry in, in Kern County? The numbers go up and down and uh, exactly who you include influences the total, but it's between about 9,000 and 13,000 jobs on any okay. given year. Okay, the other issue was, was taxes. And one of the issues is it's really gonna, Kern County is gonna take a real hit on uh, tax revenue. What, what, did they, what did they report there? 
the estimate is that $27 million a year in local tax revenue would be lost. That is uh, property taxes. Uh, we don't have a severance tax in California. Instead, oil companies pay what's called an ad valorem tax. Uh, and the top, maybe eight out of the top 10 uh, property taxpayers in Kern County are oil companies. And uh, that goes up and down with the, the price of oil. Um, but about $27 million, so a substantial hit for things that would fund uh, local uh, law enforcement, right. uh, fire protection, and other services. Right. So it's obviously a big part. Public safety is a huge part of, of local budgets. Uh, let me ask you about buffer zones and setbacks. There's a lot of talk about that, you know, half-mile setback uh, from uh, these oil wells and, and uh, residences and things like that. What, what's, what do the UC uh, Santa Barbara researchers find in that, on that issue? Well, they looked at what would be the impacts. Uh, you know, they looked at a lot of things in this study. Uh, one of the things is where would this be most efficient, the setbacks as opposed to other uh, means for achieving the reductions. Uh, in Kern County, there would be less impact simply because uh, the density of population in Kern compared to, for example, Los Angeles County, where it would have a bigger impact. Uh, the group uh, concluded that if you're just trying trying to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, then a more efficient means of achieving the reductions would be auctioning off permits. Let, let me that, ask about another issue. Problem. I'm sorry, let me ask another issue because I want to fit this in where we're, and we're running up to the, against the segment. I want to ask you about air quality. What impact do they find on air quality? They found that if you do uh, achieve the uh, carbon neutrality by the state's goal of 2045, uh, current county's own mortality would, would drop by 25%. That's really big. Uh, it found out that 38% of all local air uh, pollution is related to oil and gas. That's also a very big number. Uh, last thing I want to ask you was, these are basically, they're not really recommendations. They're kind of meant to guide California's Air Resources Board, correct? Indeed, they are. They're trying to figure out how to get to the uh, 2045 deadline. Yeah, okay. Well, up next, uh, what specific actions can the public sector take to mitigate the economic fallout dealing with the transition uh, from fossil fuel to renewables. That conversation in a moment. This is the Maddie Report. Welcome back. I'm Mark Kepler with the Maddie Institute. We're talking about the state's policies to address climate change generally and the specific impact that those policies are going to have on places like Kern County in particular. Uh, we're talking with John Cox with Bakersfield, California. He's done a lot of research and writing on this topic. So John, I want to ask you, um, the leaders in, in Kern County, they seem to be anticipating this change um, in the oil and gas industry. There's something called Better Bakersfield and Boundless Kern, otherwise known as Kern B3K. Um, what is that? B3K is primarily a response to signs that oil and agriculture, our two local economic pillars, face some difficult times, not only from the regulatory environment, but from market conditions that uh, go up and down. Uh, we've also got a drought going. And so this was a uh, response to signs that there's uh, uh, tough traveling ahead. And so this uh, group uh, led by the Brookings Institution uh, have put together a group of uh, academics, business leaders, community leaders to try to figure out uh, a, a consensus for moving forward on economic diversification. It started with an assessment of local strengths. And uh, right now we're in uh, strategic mode, uh, trying to figure out how uh, investment uh, public and private might be focused in order to create not just volume of jobs, but good jobs 
that are accessible to all and offer opportunities for uh, promotion. So Brookings Institution is a think tank and they're, they're coming in and, and kind of helping local officials kind of come up with a strategic plan of how the economy in, in places like Kern County is going to evolve. Given this transition we're seeing from uh, fossil fuels to renewables, um, and uh, so they're working on that plan. I understand that one of the first things they did, they did an assessment of the situation in Kern County, and now what they're trying to do is kind of come up with a plan and then kind of coalesce around the strategies to implement that plan, including funding. Um, which kind of leads me to my next question, and that is, you know, what's the state's role in all this? Um, the state has got to be anticipating economic upheaval that's going to be a result of this transitioning from fossil fuels to renewables, particularly in places like Kern County that's so reliant on fossil fuels. What are they doing to mitigate you know, the economic uh, and fiscal fallout? Well, I should point out that the B3K effort we were just talking about uh, was partly funded by the state, uh, put in more money, I think, than any other stakeholder in this. And in the governor's uh, May budget revision, there was a nod to Kern County and its B3K effort. $750 million was set aside to support projects like this. It is expected at least some of that money is going to be funneled to Kern County for the type of uh, well public investment that might help along Kern's effort to diversify and strengthen its economy, create better jobs. Um, now, there's also a, a uh, excuse me, a roadmap for the, the transition away from oil and gas expected out next month. We'll see what comes of that. We'll see how much money comes of the, the state budget. Um, but there you know, certainly is an effort to, to look to that effort to uh, to bring us forward. Yeah, it's interesting, though, if you, if you take a look at, at this, I think it was you wrote in, your, wrote in your article, if you take a look at specifically this Community Economic Resilience Fund, they specifically refer to Kern County um, as one of the places that's going to be hit. So they know it seems like Kern is in a very good position to uh, get to get maybe even a lion's share of that $750 million to help in, in this transition. Uh, so the state's putting some money into that. Whether or not that's going to be enough, that'll be, I guess, determined when we see what that uh, roadmap that uh, transition roadmap looks like coming out of the governor's office. And I ask this last question, that's, you know, this is transition has not been happening, you know, over, it won't happen overnight. It's gonna be kind of happen over a period of time, uh, but there's a clear uh, trend worldwide away from fossil fuels toward renewables. I'm just curious, what are you hearing among business leaders, political leaders, civic leaders in Kern County about what's going on? Um, is there kind of pessimism, optimism, uh, resistance, resignation, what? All of the above, all of these <laughs> things. Uh, I think there's been recognition for a long time, uh, not only that oil production in California is declining gradually, uh, but that you cannot uh, sustainably rely on oil or even agriculture uh, to create jobs long-term because we see what happens when oil prices go down, government revenues go down, jobs go down. And so this has been a concern for many years, long before uh, Governor Newsom uh, made it a priority. Um, I would say that you know there is uh, pessimism uh, that the uh, governor's policies will uh, take away local jobs, will take away local services from Kern County. At the same time, I, I think that there is some optimism too uh, that there's things that can be done about it through efforts like B3K, for example. Um, well, you know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for cutting off, John. But we're up we're up against a hard deadline. I apologize. Um, right. Thank you very much for being with us. Our next guest is Dr. Leosha Song, an assistant professor of geology at 
California State University Bakersfield and an expert in subsurface geology and carbon sequestration. Welcome to the Matterport Valley Views edition. Hi, Mark. Thank you for having me here. Uh, we're delighted to have you. So listen, you are literally at ground zero in this transition from fossil fuels to renewables as it plays out here in California. Uh, but it doesn't appear that things are going to change all that quickly. The governor, for example, when it comes to fracking, he's got a fracking uh, moratorium on new permits. Um, so oil extraction by hydraulic fracturing and, and steam would seem to continue, at least the, for the foreseeable future. So how do you see this transition taking place and over what period of time? Okay, this is a very good question. And uh, uh, to my expertise, uh, fracking, or in a more scientific terminology, hydraulic fracturing is a type of reservoir stimulation method. Uh, what it does is create tiny fractures in the subsurface rocks and make them more accessible for uh, production. Just to be clear, this technique itself, it doesn't produce all your gas. What it does is it makes those very tight rocks more uh, productive. I think when we talk about this transition, uh, we can look at the numbers. We can really look at the numbers. And according to a study conducted by uh, California Council on Science and Technology, before 2014, uh, there were about 20% of California's oil was produced uh, through uh, hydraulic fracturing. And uh, each year, there were about 2,000 to 3,000 fracking operations in California. And started from 2014, California uh, request permit for new fracking uh, operations. And there has been a huge decline in terms of the operation numbers uh, to roughly 220 per year. And wow, in 2020, that pretty substantial. Uh, that's pretty that? substantial. Yeah, yeah, this is a su substantial decrease. And in 2020, well, because of all kinds of reasons, uh, the fracking operations is the lowest point, and uh, it's uh, right now it's under a hundred. So, uh, based on the data provided by California Natural Resources Agency, the current uh, percentage of California oil produced uh, through hydraulic fracturing is about two percent. So, if wow. you think about it, from twenty percent. Uh, seven years ago to 2% nowadays. I think uh, what I want to say is the numbers, uh, they speak for themselves. And the transition is happening. Yeah. So transition is happening right companies. now. And uh, on the other hand, if you think about the cost of uh, the hydraulic fracturing operations, the mm -hmm. low crude oil price, the low international crude oil price, and also if you think about the cost of renewables such as uh, wind and solar, they continue to fall. And I think all of this, the market is actually encouraging uh, renewable energy generation. Yeah. So, so this is the, the, uh, market's, you know, the market's driving these decisions. Um, yeah. So I'm, the oil companies um, are arguing that, you know, even that the fewer, the few uh, hydraulic fracturing situations that occur, um, they said, listen, if it's done, if it's done safely, there's no evidence of, of water contamination uh, in California uh, due to uh, fracking. Is that because of California's environmental standards? Um, why is that? Or, I mean, and there are some that say in the scientific community say, well, that's just because we haven't collected the, enough data. Yeah, well, uh, California environmental standards are very high. Uh, and also they are very rigorous. They have very rigorous rules. 
and there is a, uh, a, a state agency that's, that's designated for this kind of uh, uh, regulations. It's called Geologic Energy Management Division, uh, often referred to as Calgem uh, in, in Bakersfield, in Kern County. And uh, uh, this agency oversees all the hydraulic fracturing operation in California. And oil and gas companies, they have to submit their uh, permit request before uh, any kind of hydraulic fracturing operation. And uh, they are, oil and gas companies are uh, under the regulation by Calgem uh, uh, through this entire process of operation. And the applications, they will be reviewed by multiple state uh, agencies and also by Lawrence Livermore uh, National Lab. So during the process of this evaluating this, they, they actually evaluate a lot of different aspects and uh, the, all of the uh, hydraulic fracturing operations, they have to be uh, conducted much, much deeper than any current or future groundwater sources. And the geologic and hydrologic uh, conditions uh, will have to be evaluated during and following the hydraulic fracturing. And you know, uh, besides that, the casing design, the cement design uh, has to meet the requirement and the pre-existing wells in that area will be evaluated regardless of this well is active or this well is abandoned already. And yeah. all of the formations, the zones, the fractures, and they will also be uh, evaluated. Besides all of that, the regional geologic features uh, will also be evaluated, such as the faults uh, will be uh, evaluated. All of this is done to ensure that the uh, uh, target zone the oil and gas zone are well isolated. Well, let, let me let, let me ask you this question: Do you feel comfortable with you know folks saying, "Hey, this stuff is seeping into the aquifer"? Are you comfortable that that's not the case? Uh, can you repeat your question? Are Are you comfortable that you know, when they do fracking, that any of the chemicals involved, that kind of stuff, is not seeping into the aquifer and affecting you know uh, drinking water? Are you comfortable with that? Uh, that's that's actually what the government tried very hard to do so because, uh, like I said, they try very hard to ensure that the uh, uh, operation zone is very well uh, isolated and is far away from any kind of aquifer. Okay, let me ask you this. You're an expert in carbon sequestration, okay? Um, is that one way maybe that the valley can participate in the green economy? And I'm just wondering, is there any implications for the aquifer if we do carbon sequestration? Sure. Uh, carbon sequestration is, is really a hot topic that people like to talk about these days. And it's a technology that allows the injection and uh, long-term uh, storage of uh, carbon dioxide in the subsurface. And this is to, uh, definitely one way that the valley can participate in the uh, green economy. And I think uh, the oil and gas companies in the valley, they are uh, really uh, starting to uh, uh, participate into this if they haven't already. And uh, according to a, a report published last year by Stanford University, carbon sequestration could play a, a very uh, important role in achieving the carbon neutral future for California, say by uh, 2045. And uh, about 15% of the state's uh, carbon sequestration emission can be captured and stored through the carbon sequestration uh, uh, process. And uh, in terms of the concern about the aquifers, uh, this is another situation that's sort of uh, similar to uh, fracking, but not exactly. 
and uh, for for the uh, CO2 sequestration, uh, there are very well established criteria for this type of operation in United States and specifically in California. And all of these criteria, they are there to ensure the security of, of aquifers and drinking waters. And uh, in uh, 2010, US EPA, uh, they uh, put together the specific criteria for CO2 injection well. Uh, they are named as uh, class six well, and uh, they, they have specific rules tailored for CO2. Basically, before you even consider and start to do that, you have to conduct a extensive site characterization that ensures uh, the injection is far from any uh, current or future uh, drinking water sources. And the stability of the subsurface rocks has to be good enough so that there's no fault of major fractures that could possibly connect all of the injection uh, material in, uh, with any kind of uh, drinking water sources. Besides that, the, there are specific rules for uh, injection well construction that requires the material. They are uh, compatible and they can withstand uh, the contact with CO2 and water. And uh, this has to be uh, conducted over the lifetime of the uh, geologic sequestration site. And besides that, there is also a compre uh, uh, comprehensive monitoring requirement, uh, including the integrity of the well, the injection, the, the storage, the groundwater uh, uh, quality during the uh, injection operation and after that. Let me, let me ask you this. Are you, are, do you see that increasing uh, carbon sequestration in the valley and maybe in Kern County in particular? Uh, in Kern County in particular, uh, I've been uh, reading some uh, local news. Uh, uh, obviously, those uh, uh, companies in uh, Kern County, they are looking uh, into and start to participate into carbon sequestration. And also, I know that uh, there is there is one company that they have put together this Elk Hughes uh, uh, generation generation project uh, targeted for uh, 2000, I think 30, and they will put together this uh, one of the major uh, operations for CO2 sequestration and energy generation. So there are some some new projects that are going on in Kern County that's targeting the uh, CO2 sequestration. You know, this kind of ties into my next question I want to ask you because we've been talking to other guests about this as well. You know, Kern County, you know, relies a lot on the tax revenue generated from oil and gas production. I think it's $27 million a year, um, a lot of jobs. Um, they said if they, they shut this down, they're going to lose 1,700 jobs a year, um, mm -hmm. good paying jobs, you know, eighty-five dollars to $100,000 type jobs, a year jobs. So what, are, what do you think is the best way to address the economic fallout as we transition from fossil fuels to renewables, or is you know is renewables going to going to create those same number and quality of jobs? Uh, I have to say I'm I'm not an economist or an expert in regional economy, uh, so I, I may be I can only offer some general comments on this. Uh, okay. Well, I, I, I first of all I have to say that you know I appreciate the fact that you acknowledge that. Uh, petroleum industry, oil and gas companies, they do provide uh, a number of high paid jobs and uh, they provide jobs in uh, exploration, production, transportation, refinement, uh, in every perspective. And, uh, um, you know, I believe uh, the policymakers, they, you know, going through this transition, I believe the policymakers, they should really 
uh, work uh, with the uh, local workers and try to provide uh, the training for them uh, to uh, uh, to uh, diversify their 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 skill set and trying to find them connect them with new kind of uh, job opportunities because the industry they they do provide the livelihood for many many people in current county. Yeah, there's a there's a real concern that the current county is going to take the brunt of this transition, right? And so <laughs> there has to be something that's that you know in it for Kern County so they can they can transition and perhaps you know you got a lot of uh you know renewable energy is already coming out of you know, Kern County with with solar and, and whatnot so I'm going to ask you that you know as, as the valley kind of transitions to renewables I mean Kern County the valley generally Kern County in particular big energy producers are we still going to have that status or is Kern County still going to have that status in this new age of renewables are we still going to be a major energy producer I sincerely hope so, and I believe so. And uh, I, I look into some of the new data published by Kern County. Uh, Kern County right now is becoming the renewable energy center for, for California, according to the data published by uh, the Kern County Administrative Office. Uh, there are, uh, I believe, about 5,000 wind turbines in Tahashbi Mojave wind corridor. And altogether, they produce about 1.3 million megawatts each year. So this this wind energy is really set to uh, even expand even bigger uh, with some new facilities being uh, uh, completed. So this uh, you know wind is really uh, a major thing right now for Kern County. And if you look at the other side, solar investment is also increasing over the past uh, few years. And uh, right now there are uh, more than nineteen commercial solar projects in the permitting process and two utility scales uh, solar projects in the approval uh, phase. So, uh, you know, for Kern County, there is really uh, a lot of uh, investment and uh, there is really a lot of opportunities for wind and solar. Okay, I, mean, I kind of feel like I just took a course from you. I mean, wow, what a, what a wealth of information you provided. Thank you so much for that. You know, just an interesting fact, uh, a number of years ago, they did a study on rooftop solar in the United States. Mm -hmm. And uh, people might be surprised to find that Fresno was the number two city in the United States for rooftop solar. The only city that beat Fresno was Honolulu. I'm guessing mm -hmm. that Bakersfield is going to be right up there as well. well I want to <laughs> thank, yeah. thank our guest, Dr. Leosia Song with CSU Bakersfield for joining us. Up next, what are the intended and unintended environmental consequences for the Valley of moving away from fossil fuels and toward renewable energy? Our next guest is Dr. Anthony Rathburn, Professor and Director of the California Energy Research Center at CSUB. Welcome to the Matter Report Valley Views Edition. Great to be on. Listen, uh, we've been talking about fracking, and one of the arguments we've heard that is if fracking is banned in California, it's just going to mean that we're going to be importing oil from foreign countries, and that's going to result in more, not less, greenhouse. In fact, there's a 2015 Lawrence Livermore Laboratory California Council of Science and Technology study that seems to back that up. Um, I think some people probably think if the state's going to change policy, maybe the guiding principle should be first do no harm. Well, it, it depends on the percentage that you subscribe to in terms of the uh, percentage of oil that's coming from fracking. Uh, generally, uh, the, the estimates that, that I've seen are pretty low. So um, if we are eliminating fracking, it's not going to make that much difference in terms of the amount of oil that uh, is lost as a result of that. 
Um, the, the, real, the real concern in my view is that we need to have a two-pronged approach. Uh, California has actually been increasing the amount of uh, gasoline that they've been using since uh, 2012, between 2012 and 2018, uh, we increased our, the amount of, of gasoline that we've been using uh, by over a percent. And so we need to have a two-pronged approach where you decrease the amount that you're using and also decreasing uh, while at the same time decreasing. Is that more vehicle miles traveled? Is that what's causing that increase in gas use? Um, I'm not sure what the reason is, but um, surely we're not doing enough to reduce our consumption. You know, given the housing prices, people having to live further and further away to find cheaper homes, perhaps that is, might be a driver. Let me ask you another question. You know, some people are talking about these half-mile buffer zones um, between oil wells and home schools and healthcare facilities when you're dealing with fracking. Do you see that as a possible solution to some of the concerns about fracking? No, I don't. Um, the real concern is contamination of surface, uh, regardless of whether there's buildings or whatever nearby. It may reduce the number of uh, complaints, but it's not really going to reduce the problem itself. Uh, I think really what we need to do is uh, worry about the regulations and worry about uh, the possibility of contamination. A lot of the problem is not what's happening in the subsurface in terms of fracking. It's what happens afterwards where uh, the casing, for example, is not properly done and uh, methane and other fluids can escape. Uh, as long as the fracking is deep enough, um, there's less worry about that. But, but a lot of the contamination that, that happens is a result of other practices, getting the, the contaminated fluids to the surface, um, and containing them appropriately and also containing the, the casing around uh, the well so that uh, we don't have any inadvertent leakage. Yeah. Um, you know, we spoke to your colleague at CSUB, Laosa Song, about carbon sequestration um, or car carbon burying. Some think that it, would may, it may allow the state to meet its climate goals while also creating uh, substantial employment opportunities for places like Kern County. What, what about uh, carbon sequestration? What are your thoughts on that? I think it's a, a great way to go. The valley is very well situated uh, for carbon sequestration. We've got the right geology. We've got the right technology, the right uh, workforce. Uh, we know the geology very, very well. We've been studying it for a long time. Uh, and uh, even nationwide, this is one of the places uh, that shows the most promise for carbon sequestration. I think it's a great way to go. Yeah, I mean, there, there are scientists at the Lawrence Livermore Lab saying that well, we could, California could dispose of 125 megatons a year of carbon dioxide by 2045 through a combination of land management practices, waste material processing, and carbon uh, sequestration. There was a really good article in the Bakersfield Californian on this, uh, uh, the, where John Cox, I believe, was the reporter, did a really nice job of outlining all this. So, so you think, you know, one of the things we talked about earlier was that, you know, the fact that current counties, as we transition from, uh, you know, from traditional sources of energy to renewables, that current county could really be hurt from a tax standpoint, revenue standpoint, from jobs. Is carbon sequestration maybe one of the possible ways that the green economy could work in current county's favor? Uh, absolutely. And in my view, 
that and the increase in alternatives uh, like solar and wind. Uh, we're now in the valley becoming uh, a leader in, the, in those alternative uh, means of energy generation as well. And I think um, with all of those in combination, I think that we can make that tr transition uh, from fossil fuels to alternatives. Yeah, you're talking about you know, the expertise, which is really interesting. Um, it seems like a lot of the, the jobs that are currently being done in, in the oil and gas industry are translatable, transferable to carbon sequestration. I mean, the geologic formations, you know, the, all of it. I mean, that seems like a pretty good fit. It absolutely is. As I mentioned, it's, it's uh, in my view, uh, it's the best, and it's certainly considered by experts in the country, one of the best places in the country to uh, for carbon sequestration because of all of that. We've got the geology, we've got the workforce, we've got the expertise, and we've got the background in studying the geology so we know it pretty well. And because of these thick sedimentary sequences that we have, these sandstones that are capped, uh, with uh, sealable uh, shales, uh, we've got some really good opportunities here to uh, to be a leader in the carbon sequestration. So you could use depleted oil fields then as a possible place to to put the carbon. Uh, well, not only those, but but other areas as well. So, and I know that there are companies, uh, the oil companies that are looking into that. They're transitioning into that uh, mode of thinking. Uh, because there's going to be money to be made in many respects uh, because there's going to be incentives in terms of our carbon footprint. Yeah, so, so I'm wondering, you know, it seems like this is a really good idea. In fact, uh, Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory highlighted Kern's potential just like, like you are. Um, but to date, you know, it was reported in that Bakersfield, California article that there are no projects so far. Um, what's the problem there? Is, that, is it regulatory? Is it financial? What's going on? Uh, well, I'm not sure what the delay is, but I do know that, that there are people uh, in some of the major oil companies in Kern County that have been looking at this that are working on it. So there may not be any projects in play just yet, but certainly the preliminary work that's, uh, that they're doing is going to set us up to be able to do that. Yeah, it sounds like you know, the, the governor and, and state regulatory agencies kind of going to have to get involved here and help this burgeoning industry kind of get off the ground. It would seem like, you know, the regular have to be the regulations that are not going to discourage uh, this type of activity. Yeah, I, I know that there's there are discussions along those lines. I'm not sure exactly where they are, but certainly we're moving in that direction. And I don't see any obstacles at this stage um, other than the, the slow progress uh, that uh, it sometimes happens with uh, political and um, and economic considerations, but certainly um, we're moving in that direction, and and uh, I think it's going to be a good thing for for Kern County. You know, I found really interesting that Bakersfield, California article that you almost have a bipartisan uh, answer to Kern County's problems here. But you've got Air Energy on the one hand saying, "Hey, this is a really good idea." You've also got a, a liberal think tank or a left of center think tank, the Brookings Institution, saying that Kern County, there could a lot of, be a lot of benefits for Kern County with, with carbon uh, sequestration. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think, um, like I said, it, it, if the fossil fuel industry is being reduced, those same folks, uh, that same workforce, that same expertise, 
can then be diverted to carbon sequestration. So I so think it, it's a wonderful thing. It sounds like carbon sequestration is kind of part of the all of the above strategy in dealing with greenhouse gases. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it's um, being able to sequester the, the, that carbon back into the earth um, and make sure it stays there. That's the key. And so it does take a lot of research um, and a lot of knowledge of the subsurface geology in order to be able to do that and be confident that that uh, those gases aren't going to be leaking back out. And again, we have that knowledge here in Kern County. Yeah, that's a, so a possible solution for, for Kern County that might work out for everyone. I want to thank Dr. Anthony Rathburn, Professor and Director of the California Energy Research Center at CSUB, and our other guests, and you for joining us. This is Mark Kepler for the Matter Report Valley Views Edition. If you want to stay current with state and local politics, you can log on to our website at maddieinstitute.org. This is Mark Kepler for the Matter Report. Thanks for joining us. The views expressed in the Matter Report are those of the individuals participating in the program and do not necessarily reflect those of the California Channel or the Maddie Institute. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the points and opinions expressed on the Matter Report, visit our website at maddieinstitute.org. The Matty Report, Valley Views Edition, is a public affairs partnership between KMJ Radio, Cumulus Media, and the nonpartisan Matty Institute, providing the Valley with valuable insight and analysis on politics and important public policy issues. This is KMJ.